1: Hello. Hello. So you are about to hear the recording from our first live show in London a few weeks ago, which we enjoyed very much indeed. We did. So did the audience. <laughs> they they seem to. They whooped. Yeah. If they seem on the recording like they're, they're not enjoying it, I can only uh, assume that's something to do with microphones. And it means we haven't put in enough canned laughter. <laughs> but we're doing another one. We're going to be in Liverpool on Monday the 19th of February. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast as it's released, it's next Monday, a week today.
2: Exactly. And we'd urge you to come along. There are some tickets left. Uh, You can find tickets at bit.ly forward slash cheerful Liverpool. How are you feeling about that URL? I'm feeling it's a good URL. Well done. Uh, That's bit.ly forward slash cheerful Liverpool. Or you can find details on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Reasons to Be Cheerful podcast.
1: But for now, here it is the historic moment, I think, in theatrical history
2: going live.
1: First live episode of Reasons to Be Cheerful.
3: To be cheerful live from the Leicester Square Theatre, London. Please welcome to the stage Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd.
1: Hello. Thank, you.
2: Thank you. Is that enough whooping for you? That's good whooping. Give yourself a whoop for your whooping.
1: Ed was quite concerned about the amount like of whooping, whooping that we would or wouldn't get because we'd been to see Pod Save America. I have Pod Save America envy, basically, uh, don't I? Yeah, and this is no no joke. He plays me clips of the whooping what? on Pod Save America and says, "Do you think we'll get whooping like that?" Yeah,
2: so it's good. I think they get marked 10, 10 out of ten for whooping, don't you think? Thank you. That was very very good whooping. So here we are, Jeff, on the West End stage, just a, at last, just. Ima- just... <laughs> Just imagine. I know. You know, it's funny because when the exit poll came out uh, (laughs) uh, that night in May 2015, the thing I immediately thought was I really want to do to go live on the West End stage with Mm -hmm. Jeff Lloyd. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean that was that was my
2: first thought, actually.
1: You do realize that if things had gone differently, you would have been at checkers today. It's true. (laughs) I would have invited you,
2: actually. Would you really? No, no, <laughs> I wouldn't actually. Uh, come to think of it, have you ever been to Checkers? I have. What's it like? Um, it's roomy, I would say. <laughs> 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 so quite nice. How many kitchens? Nice. Uh, I'm fewer than mine, actually. Right. Uh, uh. Thank you so for are. coming.
1: I'm a bit, um, I'm slightly overwhelmed. By guess this is not how I'm usually spending my Sunday afternoon. Well, how are you usually spend your usually Sunday afternoon? Usually, smell of chlorine. I've usually been baby swimming in the morning, so I didn't do that this morning. You can sniff my hair if you if you like. I think I won't. No, no, no I think you've
2: scrubbed up very nicely, though.
1: Yeah, but these these people have paid fifteen pounds for a ticket. Like some, yeah. some of them, ten. The concessions people, but <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to turn up in ripped jeans and a t-shirt. No, are? I you're think you You've going to make the effort. It's nice, and uh, you you you're not, not bad yourself. Well, uh, I've sort of
2: not gone for the suit. I Look. can
1: see you've for jeans. I mean, it's yeah. amazing that CNA at this point has been closed ten years or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> right. Shall we talk about what we're doing today, then? Yeah. So Go on, then. So, we're talking... <laughs> <laughs> You usually do the serious bit, and I just sit here and snipe from the side. Well, have a go at the serious bit. Well, we're talking about mental health, and we have some fantastic guests who are going to be talking to us, Uh, one of whom is Ruby Wax. You've probably seen Ruby's book on your... Oh, actually, before we get into any of this, can I just say there will be an interval? I know that whenever I go to see anything, I'm just thinking, oh, God, is there going to be an interval? (laughs) And I think it's probably worth to out, you know, just... Uh, p- do you have to do the fire exit in the toilets or not? Or not I don't, or not. don't think we need to do that. <laughs> right, okay. But, you know, you get fidgety in your seat. You think I'm going to be able to have a drink or a wee. And, yeah. and, uh, the, the, there will be a short interval during which you can... See, this is why I don't usually do the serious bit, because I've got distracted already. So we're going to be... So, well,
2: we're having Ruby Wax talking about her new book um, and about the issues of mental health. Then the fantastic George Ezra is coming in to talk about mental health. He is, as some of you will know, a singer-songwriter. Now, have
1: you and George met already? Yeah, we have. I did, I did
2: see a picture on Twitter the other day of George and yourself. So basically, at the House sort of, of Commons, Jeff, Jeff is sort of exposing me here because I, I basically kind of invited George <laughs> to lunch at the House of Commons on Wednesday to sort of get to know him. I hadn't met him before. I'm a big fan. And the, the, I knew kind of throughout the lunch that, that something was missing and the something was Jeff, basically. Because, because I sort of forgot to invite him. What Dr- did you have for your lunch? <laughs> um, what did I have? I think we had a chicken Caesar salad. Oh, did you have a pudding?
1: We didn't have a pudding, You had a no. really nice time. You had your photo taken with a statue. You actually had, had a photo taken with Jeremy
2: Corbyn as well. Sorry, actually. Jeremy
1: Corbyn, not a statue. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We had a photo in front of Pitt the Younger. Right, yeah. But but uh, we'll make it up to you. OK. I mean, actually, when I arrived here, George came a bit early. And w- when I arrived here, the first person I met was George. And I said, oh, look, I'm, just so you know, Jeff's kind of a bit upset that he didn't... And he's, Yeah, he's already told me about all that, yeah. LAUGHTER uh, so you sort of—it's it, it quite present. It's quite it, present. It is you're like upset. Feeling, feeling somewhat snubbed. Right. Anyway, let's move on. And then we've because got. Because
1: it's not even that I wasn't invited to lunch with George. I've never been invited to lunch at the Houses of Commons. I know. I know.
2: Yeah, no, that's bad. That is bad. Yeah. And I've like used your loft so often and all yeah, that. That's and... My Japanese toilet. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> it's out of commission at Should the we just moment. Move the on? Should we
2: just move <laughs> on? So, and then we've got. Not so... because of Ed, yeah. He hasn't blocked it or anything. So... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the, the loss of dignity
1: is terrible uh, Speaking of uh, loss of uh, dignity uh, uh, yeah. who, who enjoyed Ed's uh, bully from Bullseye impersonation?
2: Most of them are too young to know what Bullseye is, honestly can,
1: I'm a borderline millennial I know what it is, if I know what it is
2: Honestly Bullseye I, do, is.
1: I tweeted a video of it really hoped it was going to go viral And it got but, 12 retweets yeah. or something Ed tried to suppress it he had his people try to... And then
2: we've it. got <laughs> Sir Simon Wesley coming in, and he is from the Institute of Psychiatry. He's doing a review for the government about mental health. Few. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, after the interval...
1: Just make that clear again, there will be an interval. Um, after the interval, we're going to be uh, looking at some of your ideas, uh, which, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful, and helping us choose whether they are or they're not. Uh, we're joined again by comedian Aisha Hazarika, which we're very excited about. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe she can do an impersonation of you doing an impersonation some... of Bully from Bolton. And there sorry. are going to
2: be some games.
1: Yes, we've we we got some um, uh, merchandise which we weren't organised enough to set up a little stall at the back, but we are going to give some away. It's going to be like the Radio One Roadshow. You get your chance. <laughs> Small to be like a... version
2: of the Radio One Roadshow. Yeah,
1: yeah, very much so. Should we do our reasons to be cheerful? Go on then. Mine is yesterday. My wife invited some people round for lunch, and she hissed at me before they arrived. Bring your A game. And my my small talk was, it was, I was really, I mean... It, it, but that is quite challenging for you, isn't it? Yes, very much so. Which maybe is why you didn't invite me for lunch at the House of Commons. But I had some really because excellent Jeff, small Jeff talk. Came, I'll
2: let you into a secret, which is that Jeff came round for lunch on my birthday, on uh, Christmas Eve. And uh, I said to Justine afterwards, oh, she said, oh, Jeff's a lovely bloke. Mind you, <laughs> she said... Uh, he said to me, like practically the first words he said to me were, I dread events like these. <laughs> <laughs> it it went uphill from there on, I think. And I was oh, so oh. desperately
1: trying to make a good impression on Justine. And then afterwards I texted Ed saying, Oh, Justine's great, she's so warm and so lovely. Yeah, I'm afraid that, okay, I messed that, up again Hoping yeah. that he would send a message back saying, She thought you were great and you just sent one saying back, Your son is so well behaved. <laughs> <laughs> Which he was. Yeah, but I wanted some praise. of my So speciality. did you bring your
2: A-game to the launch?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I was very impressive. I had some good small well, we'll talk. Well, give us,
2: give us an example. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd failed a few days before. My wife had had a friend round that I'd never met before. She's called Abba Goliath. And uh, she introduces me to this, uh, this young woman. She says, uh, oh, this is Abba Goliath. And straight away, I thought, I'm on fire. I went, five syllables. And I thought that was like a great small talk, but it, t- it turned
2: out that it wasn't.
1: I thought, like, processing five syllables like that. And, what know, was when, an example? When do you ever meet somebody with a five-syllable
2: first name? What, what's an example of your good small talk, then? That's the <laughs> thing I...
1: I'm sorry to press you on this. I had some very interesting facts about uh, Keith Jarrett's um, famous Live in Cologne album. Yeah. Ooh. Which, you know, I'll save for if you ever come
2: round for lunch. Um, Preferred his early stuff. Yeah. Uh, your uh, reason to be uh, cheerful, then. Right, now, mine is a bit more serious. So, my... So, Uh, For the last uh, 15 months or so, we've been campaigning to stop uh, Rupert Murdoch taking full control of Sky, because he owns 39% of uh, Sky, or rather Fox, the the company that he owns, part owns, owns 39%, but he wants to take 100%. And at the beginning when we marked on this process, lots and lots of people said to me, it's completely futile, he's going to get away with it, phone hackings in the past and all of that. Anyway, the Competition and Markets Authority, the body which is looking at this, came out with a report this week basically saying he would get too much control over public policy and the news and all of that if he were to take it over, which is good in my view. Uh, but I don't think we want Rupert Murdoch getting more, even more power than he has at the moment. And it, we're not quite there yet because they've then got to go through a process where the Murdochs can make their case and say, well, if you do these small remedies... Maybe but they're
1: flogging need. it to Disney anyway. So. They
2: are flogging it to Disney anyway, but the, uh, you never quite know with the Murdochs. Right. And I think, you know, I think they have done enough to sort of poison political debate in this country without doing any more damage. And the worry about Sky News is it becomes like Fox News. And people will know from what's happening in the U.S. that Fox News is basically an arm of the Trump White House, and so anyway, so I mean, look, partly I think the lesson I draw from that, and, and it, you know, there's been lots of people campaigning on it, a, a campaign organisation called Avaz doing a big campaign around it, and partly the lesson I draw is that you've got to keep going because, you know, in a sense, most people thought this would, bid would go through on the nod, and it hasn't.
1: He defeated Rupert well, I'm Murdoch. Well, not, not quite yet. <laughs>
2: You vanquished it. Not quite yet. Three quarters of the way there. Three Uh, quarters of the way there. Right, we've got some other reasons to be cheerful. We
1: we were asking you for your reasons to be cheerful on the way in. All right, first one says uh, My reason to be cheerful this weekend in 15 words or fewer. Or less, maybe. Well, I I did some extensive Googling on this. Less is acceptable in in this, uh, but, you know, grammar nerds, I know.
2: The year is no longer a prime number. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that is good, isn't it? It's also a very good reflection on the type of nerdy person we're attracting yeah, here today. That. <laughs> is that you, actually? Yeah. All right, next one. What's your reason to be cheerful this weekend? Discount beans. <laughs> Who, can, can I ask whoever wrote that, how much did you pay? 15p.
2: That's pretty good for a tin of beans. Yeah. My reason to be cheerful... That they, they, they're they reading our minds. My reason to be cheerful is that you used fewer correctly here. <laughs> Even though you didn't on the screen, one out of two it, it's, bad. Not
1: cu- it's not cut and dry. It's not cut and dry. Reason to be cheerful this weekend, in 15 words or fewer, celebrating our engagement. Congratulations.
2: Whoop, whoop. Where did but... you propose? Not to me. <laughs> are, you, are you just ignoring that? Yeah, okay. Primrose Hill. Uh, right, my, my, my daughter is back from university just to come here with me. Oh, That's good, isn't it? Yeah. What's your reason to be cheerful this weekend? Yeah, can I just tell you a very funny story about my wedding?
3: Please
1: do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you were to renew your vows, would I be invited to the ceremony?
2: So... <laughs> no, sorry, I was just trying to think about how to tell the story. So, so That was a yes-no question. So, so Alistair Campbell... Uh, uh, who's, I think, in the audience, uh, he, I, as I was getting in the car to leave my wedding, I got a text from Alistair Campbell, but it was meant for his son, uh, Rory, and it said something like, why is Ed dressed as a reformed football hooligan? <laughs> <laughs> so I said to Justine, not be quite slow on the uptake, Somebody's like hacked into Alistair Campbell's phone. Because <laughs> I've got this <laughs> phone hacking. So this I then, is how the whole Murdoch so, thing yeah, so, started with you. So I then sent so I then sent him a message. And I think somebody's hacked it. And then it sort of suddenly dawned on me that somebody hadn't hacked into his phone.
1: Oh, what's your reason to be cheerful? Coming to see the should be prime minister and Ed Miliband. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Shall we get our first yeah, guest out? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Uh, She has a new book. It's called How to Be Human, The Manual. Please welcome Ruby Wax.
4: Hi, I performed here. I don't know where everybody was, but I was here. Yep. Did you see my show? Uh, yeah. Okay. That doesn't no. hurt. that doesn't hurt at all. Okay, it's I'm, okay. This, this is our first. That. As long as beans are cheap. Yeah, uh, exactly. 15p. Yeah. This is our
1: first ever live show. How do you think it's going? <laughs> <laughs> do you think we should be offering refunds?
4: Uh, I would have changed the shirt. <laughs> to be honest. Look, I think it looks like my grandmother's underwear. He <laughs> <laughs> was quite proud of, of his shirt as well. Is he? I, Ed, this is, is the shirt
1: I was wearing the first time we met. Is that true? you didn't remember? I didn't remember, no. It has no
4: label.
2: I made it. But do you think sort of shirt humiliation is consistent with your book?
4: Not at all. (laughs) No.
2: No. So, it's not good for my self-esteem, though, Ruby. It's
4: not good for my book sales. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Will you tell us about the book? Uh, we, we were talking just before we came on, and it's 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 so, so broad in scope, it's almost quite difficult to describe. It's about it 12
4: is. books, but right. you're you know, getting it for a cheap price. There were questions I had about everything. So I thought, well, I'll get a monk and a neuroscientist to help me out. Because between the two of those, you pretty much cover the market. <laughs> so the monk's the expert, and they're... I've been living with the monk now for three years. And
1: did you just find him in the Yellow Pages?
4: (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, he he was at TED Talks. He's a logical, you know, spokesperson for things like mindfulness, which could be so gooey. And he's hilarious sometimes he says something about Buddhism. I said, if you use that B word again, I'm removing you from the premises. And he goes, 2,000 years of wisdom, sweetheart. Look at the hand, you know. <laughs> and the neuroscientist is quite cocky, so I always threaten of whiting him out of the book. So um, anyway, between the two of them, the neuroscientist substantiates what the monk says, where it is in your brain, because otherwise I'm writing a book and handing out a dream catcher. I really like the rea- You know, if I can see it and taste it, I believe it. Not that you'd lick your brain, but, you know, I I want proof. So I write the chapters, and we cover, you know, how to raise your teenager without killing him. Understanding the kid's brain, you know, a little knowledge, you start to understand, oh, I get it, this is how we work. You know, the human beings, we share the same biology. So if you get a little bit of how, you know, this mechanism ticks over, you kind of forgive yourself, because evolution tried as hard as it could, it really you know it was it was for your survival it didn't give a shit about your happiness it really wanted you to ward off the next ice age and dodge the dinosaur feet but you know how to understand emotional intelligence or you know how to find satisfaction we still it's we're still in the dark that's why you you know you go to a new age section in a bookshop you can cover the equator 57 times everybody's still hunting for this thing and yet we can you know make avatars of ourselves as lobsters you know it's so sophisticated (laughs) on one end but how to be human and if we don't get hip to this you know how to be human when the future does come and it's probably in a half an hour you got to get ready you know we have to practice things learn things like gooey words and i had trouble let's say compassion i used to call it the c word uh And uh, forgiveness. And if we don't start to concentrate on that, you know, then we are doomed. You know, we're already seeing everybody not like us, like the enemy. So we need to learn to negotiate with our own brains. You know, be boss of your mind.
2: Tell us about the journey you've been on and then how the book plays into that, because...
4: Starting from childbirth?
2: Well, you can skip a few bits, but, you you know, because you you trained... um, Uh, In mental health? Yeah. You got a master's in mental health?
4: Uh... Not really in mental health. Um, Well, I was in television for 25 years, and then I hit a certain age, and, uh, you know, it's like leaves on a tree. (laughs) They're just... Next season comes along, and you're on the floor. So I thought, um, (laughs) replaced by a firmer copy of me. And I never thought that would happen, but guess what? Yeah, it happens, and I didn't want to end up really bitter or eating a cockroach on an island. So I said... (laughs) You know, or in pantomime, <laughs> which I've already done. Um, oh, missed it. I was Aladdin. Uh, anyway, I didn't want to go down that route where you go, remember me, and then you begging. Uh, the I BDC. do that a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. Uh. Well, you know, you are on the downhill. Yeah,
2: so. exactly. <laughs> That's how
4: we ended. How we ended
1: exactly. up there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly.
4: Yeah. You it was could've...
2: either this or the cockroach, and yeah. I kind of went for this.
4: You could have been great. Yeah. Thanks anyway, for... um, so I thought we'll reinvent. Uh, because, you know, we're supposed to be dead by 30, so, you know, we just go on and on. I thought, get a new career. So I was always interested in the brain. That, to me, you know, more interesting... I'm sorry, Brian, but the cosmos is less complicated than this thing up here. And I thought, let's let's figure this one out, or get close. So I thought, I'll... (laughs) I was a moron as a child. I just have to put that in. So if this doesn't prove that the brain is plastic, nothing does. So five years ago, I went to Oxford. I'm really stupid. But, um, but when you're really fascinated with something, all the wiring starts to change. And you get, it's curiosity that changes it. And so I became so interested. And at the end, I got a comedy show out of it and a thesis and, uh, and sold a book. So as a Jew, that's a, that's a big, that's, yeah, that's a threefer. Yeah,
2: Talk to us about mindfulness and the role that mindfulness oh, right. plays. Because it's a, there's some of it in the book, uh, but it's also something that, I it, it's something that you... I think you, your, your qualification is around mindfulness, is mindfulness. And
4: the neuroscience of yeah. It, yeah. Well, it ha- when they did uh, scanning on brains, mindfulness and cognitive had the best results. So I thought, well, they're not teaching witchcraft at Oxford, so let's study that. And, um, you know, f- forget about the whole... Uh, notion that it started in the West, in the, uh, sorry, in the East. In the West, they use it for pain management and for depression. And all it is, let's cut the fat, you know, it's not the big guy sitting, you know, with a bindi on his head. It is noticing the thoughts. And as I say, part of liberation is breaking your habits of thinking. You know, there's nobody in your brain screaming thoughts. You know what I mean? A little mini me. Yeah. You're, it's habits that you get caught in. So people go, "Oh, I'm a victim, and I'm always getting." You know, I'm going for the wrong guy. And we don't, we under, we can break that. We can break that loop if you become aware of it. Otherwise, you're just acting out. So mindfulness is CBT. But the main thing it teaches you don't kick your own ass while you're watching your thoughts. And that really has to be practiced because we're so used to going, oh, you know, now I'm thinking this way. Now I'm thinking this way. I should have, I could have. And our thoughts are what makes us sick. Not the We need stress, baby. <laughs> but it's the thinking, I didn't do enough. I'm supposed to do enough. I don't look as good as her. Why didn't I get invited to the party? This happened to me yesterday.
1: Why didn't I get invited to love with George Ezra?
4: <laughs> yeah, why aren't, you know, why didn't, yeah. so many whys yes. but um you know the, the the thing about mindfulness is you learn to forgive yourself and it's not by a gooey way it's as physical as going to a gym and getting the six pack you don't wishfully think or positively think you have to do brain exercises and what's, the, what's but it's not for everybody let me just
1: say well, well what's the evidence like on it you know to sort of what proportion of people does it 60
4: percent of people don't have relapse from depression that's so far what the evidence is I take if, medication if. for depression. I take medication because I'm scared I'm not in, in the 40%. So I do, too, you know, mindfulness and medication. So it's like wearing a double condom because I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I said that to you. It's, I know you're so important.
2: It's fine. I, 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 I used to be. I'm... Uh, 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 um, but uh, how often do you do mindfulness? I did one of your exercises today, by the did way. Did you? It was Thubtons. Is it Thub-
4: Tuftons, uh, Monk, At the very end, the last chapter. If you're, if you're of chapter how, eleven. How do? Oh, you read this? Yeah,
2: exactly, I did. You read the
4: chapter. Not as... just
2: chapter eleven, as well.
4: Uh, <laughs> uh, at the very end, if you want to, you know, uh, deal with your kids. If a teacher wants to teach a kid, basically, it's learning. I don't want to project my garbage on the kid, you know what I mean? It yeah. teaches you how to get out of the way. Because a lot of times what you're scared of as a parent, you put straight into that kid, you know. So it's learning to stand back and say, wait a minute, this is a new, this is a whole new individual, and really focus in and listen, because that kid will flourish. If you keep wanting to my mother always wanted a photocopy of herself, and I was a total letdown. <laughs> but um, if you listen and you know, okay, I'm losing my cool. Leave the room. Do whatever you have to do, but don't give your baby, don't give your kid your hot. You and Do know, you do
2: it every day, mindfulness? I do. For like how long?
4: Well, if I'm coming on, you know, stage yeah. or I'm doing a show, I'll do it for a minute, and they see it just and before I'm, you come on. Yeah, and also in the morning, I'll do it for twenty minutes. It's, I, it's a habit, like brushing my teeth and you just you'd never empty your brain that's impossible until you drop dead
2: that's one of the things you say in the book actually yeah you got to be dead yeah. to empty your brain yeah.
4: it's it's a big clue you've yeah. died yeah but <laughs> you know how you always it in mind. wondering uh, 20 minutes a day yeah and you watch you know it's like watching just the horror show of how shallow i am you know i mean the obsession with now i have to get feed, you know get the turtle food then i have to it's about nothing it's about who likes me who doesn't like me i have to send an email cuz they haven't gotten in touch it's just the excretia.
2: well that all clouds into your mind while you're doing the mindfulness or the mindfulness drives it away it would
4: be there anyway you know yeah. what i'm saying even if we don't focus in yeah. you're thinking this garbage anyway so when you look at it day after day you start to see themes and eventually you start to it's almost when you stand back from it, you're not at the mercy of it. You go, Oh, that old theme. Yeah, I'm always envious. Yeah, and so it's more like you're watching you rather than it is you.
2: But how do you how do you how did you learn to do it and how do other people learn oh, to do it? Oh well it
4: um I learned first of all it's usually free. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a big thing in my book. Uh, you go to an eight week course, it's gotta be a professional MBCT, mindfulness trainer hopefully they went to Oxford or Exeter or something, and then they teach you over eight weeks, and then you're on your own, and in this world, that's almost impossible, because everybody, they say, what's your top tip? There is no magic pill. You have to exercise your brain, you know, when your stomach starts hanging over the chair, some people head for the gym, other people, especially in Wisconsin, just say, cover it, you know, but the same thing that gets you to a gym is the same thing, and By the way, it doesn't just make you um, more self-conscious, kinder. It also is, your brain is your body. So when you learn how to get that red mist down, especially for kids, you'll save yourself a lot of illnesses. (laughs) You'll live longer, you know, unless you're hit by a meteorite. And, uh, (laughs) you know, your blood pressure goes down. Pretty much everything's connected to the brain. A six-pack, it looks good, but, you know, I can't actually when you get old it's going to go anyway you might as well enjoy it while you can but you could pull every other muscle in your body in the name of getting it it
2: was nice you know, because you, th- you kind of made it look like jeff has got a six pack <laughs> no well, jeff
4: should get a six pack yeah, yeah. yeah. no but the, the the thing is is uh there's so much of your life wasted do you know what i mean so at least if you learn how to uh be present when you need to be present, you know, have that Kodak moment, and you learn how to lower, lower that distraction, and we live in a world of complete, you know, how do you pick one toothpaste out of 5,000 choices? Why don't I have what you, well, I don't want that shirt, but usually, (laughs) I want what she has, I'm not young enough, I'm not fat enough, your life's over, so at least you learn, this is the crap that goes on in my mind, I don't have to take it that seriously, I don't have to buy in. I could sort of go, oh, yeah, I'm a failure and everybody knows it. I go, yeah, that's CD number 45. <laughs> My mother gave me that, but she's dead, so let's let it go. <laughs> <laughs> and so that you kind of, there's a forgiveness to yourself. And then you learn to forgive everybody else. So you Ideally. I haven't, <laughs> but I'm working on it.
1: So you, Ruby Waxer, made prime minister for the day in what we call the Jeffocracy. Is the first thing you do mandate mindfulness in schools and workplaces? For people's mental well-being, you know,
4: then you're being a dictator again. I don't think it has to come from the the you know politician. Right. I think there's been a terrible mistake made with those. It has to be. <laughs> you know, a lot of yeah, a lot of the a lot of them get their position. Not all of them, because they um, they evoke fear. I, I won't name names. <laughs> no, you know, Trump. Yeah. Got in sure. because it's the same thing sure. as a lot of time I don't think he does
2: mindfulness, does he?
4: <laughs> no, that would because you need a mind.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's mindlessness, mind emptiness. Yeah. Okay, so it's not about. It,
4: it, it's about like it all begins. Free with,
2: mindfulness for all? No, you don't. Not try get to, out
4: of here. If well, if a person wants to have you know yeah. the more resilient brain yeah. and it you know nature inertia, we can change our genes. All this stuff just. Read a little bit about science. It's so hopeful. You can actually change your genes. We're not stuck with who we were born with. You don't have to just because you had mental illness pass it. There are things you can do. And that, to me, is really hopeful. And so the book teaches you what to do and have a better life. Or um, end up bitter and, you know, eating a cockroach. (laughs) But at least you'll eat it mindfully. (laughs) Ruby Wax, thank thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Our next guest has a new album due out. It's called Staying at Tomorrow's. Please welcome George Ezra. (laughs) So, George, uh, what what did you have for lunch that day then? (laughs) We both had Caesar salad.
5: Actually, when you asked Ed what we had for um, dessert, my memory was we got offered dessert and I turned it down. And Ed went, "Are you sure?" And I went, "Yeah, no, no, no it's fine." And then the guy came a back, and Ed was like, are you, "Are you sure you don't want a dessert?" Like a pusher. Like there was, no. We had, we both had Caesar salad. And oh, that
1: sounds lovely. It's a nice, nice day out. It was amazing. The, it was a for proper. For the two of you, yeah. Um, Ed they, they invited George to the Houses of Common for lunch. Somebody wasn't invited. When well, you, I mean, you weren't invited either,
4: well, I'm Ruby. So, I yeah. gotta go sit and do mindfulness.
5: It was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a proper. You know, there was a moment during the day when I couldn't quite believe that I was there. It was, it was a lovely experience.
2: Yeah, that, that sounds. Next well. time, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Can you say it was really rubbish, George? I think it <laughs> might make you feel a bit better. There was a
5: point where I said, "Are we not inviting Jeff?" And I just went, don't, don't worry about
1: yeah.
2: that.
1: <laughs> uh, can I talk to you about the, the song "Don't Matter Now"? Of um, course, yeah. So this this came out sort of back end of last year, yeah. And can you talk to us about what that was about and what and what led you to write it?
5: Yeah, um, I'm trying to figure out when the best place to start is, and I think it's uh, childbirth. First, for <laughs> yeah, <The concept>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I kind of had this amazing turn of events, which led to me going on tour for two years, and it's you know. It's happened, and it was brilliant, and I couldn't believe that it was happening. So it means
1: externally, it looked like a lot of success very, very quickly. Yeah, and I think
5: only in hindsight can I appreciate that that's exactly what it was. It was kind of, and once it starts, it's not something that you're given a second to take in. You 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 go, and it's brilliant. You know, I wouldn't want it any other way. But uh, it's very much living in a bubble. You're in a town uh, for twenty four hours. You know, and then you back up, and the circus moves on, and you get a weekend at home, a month, say, or two months. And as a kid, it was you know it's brilliant. What? Well, why wouldn't you love that? But it meant at the uh, you're kind of spat out the other end. You know, you can't go on forever. There needs to be new material or new projects or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's when it kind of all went awry for a second. So what did awry look like? I, well, you. The kind of outfit of being on tour is that there's you and a crew and at the head of that is a tour manager and they kind of make sure that your day is filled. And that could be, you know, most mornings you'll go and do a breakfast radio and your time is kind of uh, is planned out for you to within a second. And it's great that, like, you don't have to think about it. And then on the other end, your your only commitments are to be creative and to rely on your own creativity um and I think it, it, something that went hand in hand with that was also coming to a reality which was kind of 2016 it felt like a lot of stuff was going on and for the first time in my life for a long time I was able to actually be a part of conversations but it just it was too much it was a uh, you know I don't know about you guys but I was kind of getting news alerts to my phone about stuff happening in foreign countries at two in the morning and and then I'd go to the pub the next day and everyone knew the headline, but nobody knew the facts. And we were just digging ourselves into this kind of turmoil of of not... Fe- I remember the feeling of not feeling safe. And I, I, I think it was... We created that feeling. I created that feeling. So it's like a very f- modern form of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. But I think the key thing, yeah, was just saying to myself, George, it doesn't matter if you're not ready with an opinion. Because... You don't know what you are talking about. None of you do. I mean, you know, it's kind of like it's when you are. Yeah, that's my sorry. I don't know if that was a ramble, yeah, but just there.
1: more uncertainty. Like more, more uncertainty is better. People are just too certain.
5: But I think it's kind of we breed it in each other because I think we demand it from each other. Something happens, and uh, we're expected to. Have an opinion, either for or against, almost instantly, and I don't think that's how the world works. I don't think it's healthy.
2: And it, what Sorry. made you sort of make the decision to talk about this? Because you did a benefit for Mind. Uh, it's not, you know, lots of people in your profession don't talk about these issues. What, what, what made you decide uh, to talk about about it?
5: Again, it's quite a not selfish reason, but I think committing to writing a record you can only... It only works if you're honest with yourself. And that was uh, what helped me to realise what it... Because also, my whole thing... The reason I work with Mind was because uh, when I was 19, I was in a position for the first time in my life to kind of give to charity. And there'd been a few people in my life uh, that had experienced, you know, bouts of... Whether it was anxiety, depression, addiction. And I, I knew I wasn't well equipped enough to help other than to say that I was there but I don't know what that means what does that mean Um and so I started to give to mind and uh, yeah I think it, it, it's evident to me that someone in my situation or any situation a bit more education wouldn't go amiss Of just you know if, if I walked out here this is a very basic analogy that I use but if I walked out here and my arm was broken we'd all know about it like this and we wouldn't Question it when someone's going through something that's uh connected to mental health it's very easy to not know that it 's very easy for people to uh, put on masks for just the right amount of time so that people don't ask questions
1: and do you feel that is still a stigma in in your generation so that's sort of a different era so he's from the flower power 60s era really and I'm a borderline millennial but you're very very much a millennial um do, do, you, do you still feel that by talking about this stuff people are saying to you George it's it's so great that you're sharing these, these stories uh
5: yeah I still don't think it comes I mean I'm a 24 year old kind of man child I guess uh and a lot of my friends are, Um, there's kind of a window which kind of appears at four pints in and you get uh, like a a window of conversation but once the fifth pint goes down, lost, that's it, it's gone. Um, And that's not healthy, you know, Um, and it's also, I think we all do it, it's like the structure of conversation is hello mate how are you yeah not too bad how are you it's not that you're going how am i shit actually not great i won't say that you're just go to reaction your go to answer is yeah not bad how are you yeah um but i also think that it's part of all of our vocabulary to say things like man up or grow a pair or don't be a girl and it's offensive to everybody uh, but also just not very helpful i don't think
3: yeah
2: did i answer the question at yeah, all I then think so
3: yeah
2: <laughs> yeah and i think we want to carry the conversation on um because in a way both of you have raised sort of mental health and what we can do about it and to talk a little bit about what we can do about it we've got somebody who works day-to-day uh, in this area and that is professor sir simon wesley he is professor of psychological medicine At the Institute of Psychiatry at King's College London. He's former president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, and he is also chairing a government review of the Mental Health Act 1983. So please welcome Sir Simon Wesley. Simon has, just, Simon has just come from the Chelsea-Newcastle game. You were able to leave early, weren't you, Simon, apparently? Yes, we were winning. Can yeah. I
6: just say that um, I just had a bet with George that I wouldn't get any whoops. I've just lost it, but only
2: because you gave a whoop. I gave you a whoop. <laughs> yeah. I promised that whoop. <laughs> <laughs> nobody else did. It was, a contagious, it was a contagious whoop. Yes. <laughs> um, Simon, just talk to us at the beginning. You've, you've heard from Ruby uh, and from George. Talk to us about the scale of the sort of mental health issues that are out there in the... Country, and, and and sort of give, give us a bit of a guide to what you see as somebody who works in this day to day. How long have we got? It's longer than the football match to do all that. I mean, it's all. I,
6: I know my job is to play the boring buffy, and I'm aware of that. I know these people paid. I didn't actually know there was an audience here, actually. Let alone that <laughs> I thought it was all in a studio, a live one, and they've all paid money to hear. Yeah. Extraordinary, but I mean it. it <laughs> I'm afraid it does depend on what you mean by mental health because everybody also obviously has mental health in the way that they have blood pressure. And my job as a psychiatrist is I tend to deal with people who have mental illness. So we can tell you what the rates of those disorders are, going up to common things like depression, anxiety, and, and there's a figure of around one in four people will, be, will have suffered from this. And that's probably about right, less so for the more severe Uh, and disabling disorders. So these disorders are not uncommon, but I don't think we should be going around thinking that everybody has a mental disorder or everybody has mental health problems, et cetera, because clearly many people don't.
1: But do you think the kind of stuff we've been talking about, which I guess maybe falls under the category of mental
6: well-being, uh, is is part of the remit of the government? (laughs) probably not. I mean, to, to be slight, you mentioned I'm, I've got good mental well-being at the moment simply because we were winning 3-0 when I left the ground to come here. How did it be the other way around have bad mental well-being? Because these things are dependent on millions of factors, most of which aren't under the government's control. Um, the best thing for our mental well-being is to have lots of friends and to have confiding friends and relationships. And I think people have known that for time immemorial. Our social networks are what really matters. And that's the best protection we have and how people have all always dealt with difficult and hard times is by turning to friends colleagues uh, family etc not to people like me and that's absolutely right so when it comes to mental you know the government's role becomes bigger and bigger as we kind of go up the spectrum until we get to the most serious forms of mental disorder and you mentioned I'm chairing this review of the mental health act clearly we're dealing then with very severe illnesses and really difficult and awkward complex decisions about when do we actually detain people to treat them uh, as part of a civilised and humane society. And these are very complicated issues, but we're only going to do that for the people at the most severe end. And that is a government responsibility, that is a society responsibility. We are doing better than we have done in the past, for sure. But, you know, by golly, we've got a a long way to go.
1: But is part of that we're coming out of the dark ages when it comes to mental health and a lot of things that are now recognised as disorders every time the new directories come out, maybe 20, 30, (laughs) 40 years ago, weren't recognised as disorders? Well, yes
6: and no is the answer to that. First of all, it's always a mistake to think that people in the past didn't know about mental health and mental disorders and how you manage things. We've done a lot of work on how populations reacted to the Blitz, for example, in the 1940s. And people had a pretty good understanding of how you get... Of the difficulties. Secondly, there's also a little bit of a danger of inflation. So um, we get my profession gets into trouble every few years. The Americans have this thing called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Great name, um, not a great book. Wouldn't really. It gets bigger and bigger every year. More. I mean, actually, it's got slightly smaller this year, but that's because they put it on on cheaper and uh, lighter paper. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And we get into trouble because they're inventing 650 disorders in the latest edition. Things like answering back to your parent disorder, uh, coffee drinking disorder, um, obsessive love of guns syndrome. Um, Actually, that's not in it. I made that up. The one they should have, they haven't had. But um, we do get into trouble for that and quite rightly so. Pushing back the boundaries of normality, which is what is happening, is in no one's interest. Most of us, however, um, in, you know, in the mental health professions get very worried about this. We find it difficult enough to provide adequate services for those with the absolutely existing disorders about which there's no controversy uh, with the resources we have and the staff we have. So we are not in favour of p- constantly pushing back and so wh- bringing wh- more and more things into the mental illness umbrella. What's your definition,
2: if that's not an unfair question? That is an unfair question. Well, what's the, di- <laughs> what's the divide between people who have... Mental health problems, issues.
6: we, We were chatting about that earlier. I mean, there isn't a hard and fast device. Funny enough, that's the case in all of medicine. People forget that issues like blood pressure are on a continuum. Even cancer is on a continuum, and many mental health problems are also. We are all sad part of the time, we're all anxious part of the time. But there comes a point in which it becomes so severe. But we have so many other symptoms, and c- crucially, we can no longer really live our lives. We can't hold down a job. So it impairs our functioning. Yes, basically. it's about functioning. It's about holding relationships, etc. And then we're crossing a line in towards disorder where help may be needed. But it's not an absolute, uh, okay. Uh, easy. Okay. You said, fr- and you
2: said, friends and family are the key for people.
6: For most of the time, most people deal with most things by turning to social relationships. That's a preventive.
2: Yeah. Thing. Yeah.
6: And, and some of the research we've done, um, I'll give you one example. We did, we did a study uh, after the London bombs in 2005. And we showed that people who couldn't contact their friends and loved ones on the day of the bombs were more distressed. Well, you know, no shit Sherlock, you might say, obvious. But more interesting was when we followed those people up six months later, they were still more distressed six months later so the act of simply managing to talk to someone they know was protective of their mental health and so now when we have uh, you know we will have more of these incidents we all know that one of the first and most important mental health preventions we do is we make sure people have a functioning phone or a phone charger and we also know if we introduce people like me too early So within 24 hours, 48 hours of a horrible, life-changing experience, someone comes along and says, how was it for you? How are you feeling now? You've just seen someone blown to bits. How are you feeling? What a stupid question that is. Um, And we know that that actually makes you worse. So too early professional intervention gets in the way of doing what comes naturally. On the other hand, 10, 12, 15 weeks later, those people who have not recovered, who haven't resumed how life was, that's the time when people like me come into
2: our own but if friends and family are not the solution what's the next level up is that you, that's you that's you no
6: before that still what people want to see then, I, I, I'm, I'm part of the time I'm, I'm a advisor advisor of the Army, so this is a very strange culture, but when people are there, what they want to see is again, not people like me. they want to see people in that culture who share that culture, wear the uniform and know what it 's all about, who've been there, etc, and then you can, you can expand that to in the workplace, you might want to see people you know a middle manager, you're, you're, you're the person above you. you don't want to see me in a, in a school, you might want to see a teacher, not me,
2: but isn't that quite an important point, which is that we think about? About sort of good mental health as a sort of NHS, you know, the NHS function, yep. but actually, um, is it time for time for change? Time for change? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that they're pioneering and, and have been advocating is. You know, proper workplace awareness, proper schools awareness, proper university awareness.
6: Yeah, it's the thing with the military. we, We trained up half of them in incredibly easy, simple mental health skills. To be honest with you, all you have to do is you have to find you have to spot if someone's either drinking too much or not talking very much. It's not that hard. And ditto in schools, ditto in the workplace. So it's giving people in your social
2: orbit simple skills, really... It's Sorry to be unfair, Ask an unfair question. In school, so like school, schools... i have already asked one. Schools in asking? my constituency, because this comes up a lot as an issue, when you go out and talk to young people, they say mental health services issues. What is it that needs to be in the schools? Is it the teachers themselves to be properly aware? Or is it specific people trained? Well, I think those two aren't mutually exclusive. Um, a, a, a
6: we can sometimes almost overdo awareness. Most people now are aware. I mean, there's been an amazing sea change in social attitudes and knowledge. It's not so much about awareness; it's about having um, been able to talk about it and not feel shamed or stigmatised. That's the kind of next barrier. So, but in the schools, then it would be you know the most important people in your life after your parents then become the teachers, and it's helping the teachers have again those simple skills, mental health first aid in schools, for are example. We doing that? we're starting yeah we are starting absolutely um, doing quite a, quite well actually um, and that again well, the point about that is really just allowing people once again to the the, roles, the young royals the stuff they're doing on It's Good to Talk those of my age and your age you know men at CNA we remember the BT ad so it <laughs> sounds slightly odd but it is still very good to talk and just empowering that to happen is is a good thing with people again who you know and that would be teachers in the schools or lance corporals in the military. It's only finally when that fails, then schools need access to very good um, and now more skillful, uh, more trained, uh, mental health professionals. services. And talk to
2: us about that level then. What is the scale of demand? What's the scale of right. the provision? Well, and what do we do to close the gap? Because, and, and your mandate here is to make us feel cheerful. Yeah, okay. uh, LAUGHTER there's something that we is, can do. This is a tall order. You're, so, you're, we're going to appoint you as the sort of okay. mental health czar in the Jeffocracy. <laughs> uh, and you're going to have resources at your disposal. You're going to have advice from George and Ruby and anyone else you want. Uh, what are you going to do? Well, clearly, then it's all sorted. But it was sorted on, on, on the second line. You just
6: said to have resources at your disposal. And that's where we not only we, we are failing and, and sadly over the last 10 years, the money, let's take the example of what we call CAMS, Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, sorry to use the jargon, have been uh, gradually stripped. Of, well, gradually is not much, not, not gradually, uh, have lost a huge amount of resource and trained personnel. And for us, what matters hugely is about people in the rest of medicine kit matters having really big expensive scanners that when they break down you have to fly people from germany it costs millions to get them going again or having really expensive drugs that nice come in and tell you are too expensive we've never had that problem um the things we use are pretty cheap and we don't really at this moment in time use very much technology it might change ruby's talked about neuroscience it might change but it hasn't yet we use people And that is nearly all of the cost of mental health services is about people. And that's where we have the problem. We don't have enough child psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers. Um, The fall in mental health nurses in the last 12 months, we've lost 10% of the workforce. And that's a really staggering loss. So for us, critically, it's about people and it's about getting people we, we need to harness enthusiasm. You know, you've all come out on a Sunday afternoon to hear about mental health, but we'd like half of you to then decide, and I, I have no idea how old you are, actually, because I can't see a single... But assuming that you're a relatively youngish audience, we'd like some of you to actually think, you know what, I could do that for a career. That's a really good thing to do. And we're not getting enough people thinking um, not just this is a night, this is terribly interesting. You know what, I would like to do this as a career. And it is a fantastic career, but that's the biggest gap we have.
2: I think we've got time for few minutes of questions can we have some yeah. lights maybe yep brilliant and there is a mic is there a microphone yeah i think I'm roving around oh there's a out. hand as well can so i also good. say
6: why wasn't i invited to that lunch by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know how to alienate oh, your guests that lunch i wish i'd yeah. never had that bloody lunch uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. no offense george uh, 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 uh,
2: now there's a hand and there's a microphone coming to that hand do you want to say your name and
3: uh, and your question hi, hi. my name's i think people here we i've worked in parliament and uh it's interesting mp's mental health is always a thing yeah
6: because uh, you're under constant stress constant bombardment i was wondering if we all of you could talk about it for a brief period and ed about your experience of mental health and how you as leader under that kind of stress maintained uh a level
2: yeah i mean it's pretty difficult um well, I think I think the the pressures are are enormous, and I'm sure if you talk to anyone who's a leader or an or an m p they would find the pressures enormous i I suppose I am struck by what Simon says about friends and family, um and that is absolutely crucial. I'm also struck if I'm honest by what George said, which is you know it's not like quite not quite like releasing your first album and then having time on your hands losing a general election, but it sort of <laughs> it might it might sort of bear some resemblance to it. Um, I think I've said before that it's like um, in the West Wing uh, the uh, Republican candidate Arnie Vinnick nearly becomes um, a president and then he goes into Starbucks the next day and they say like, what's your name and, he's, and he says Arnie and they say coffee for Ernie uh, and it's sort of a bit like that, it was, you know, losing a general election is a bit like that you're, you're going at 100 miles an hour, suddenly you've got nothing in your diary friends and family are absolutely crucial to, to getting through that um, I,
6: I think I can actually say, because it's a public record, but I went to speak to the cabinet about a couple of months ago on mental health with Poppy Jarman from Mental Health First Aid, and this came up, and I did begin a sentence by saying, and you're all rubbish, and I should have just stopped there, actually, but I didn't, and there was a moment when I just took a breath, but at doing help-seeking, the two worst groups in the I whole world... I you get
2: sacked the re- from the review for saying <laughs> that. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yes, I know, but the two are, but people in parliament are terrified... Of anyone thinking they had any mental disorder, yeah, and totally, and very, very bad totally. health seeking, and the only, and the only group of worse are doctors, are actually worse as well. So we're not neither neither me nor you are in a particularly good position to tell people um, how easy this is and how it's perfectly okay, because actually, for many of us, it doesn't feel that way, and it is very difficult. Uh, but it was funny; I did say you are rubbish. Took breath, and they were. Ooh.
2: <laughs> anyone else yeah. who's got a. Question, yeah.
7: All right, um, I'm Shona, so hi, everyone. Um, I work in education. I've done a lot of work in primary schools. And I'm always impressed by... I'm just impressed by how kind of smart kids are from such a young age. And you've talked, um, Simon, about doing work in schools, and you mentioned it, Ruby, briefly. How early do you think we should start good teaching good practice around mental health? Um, and what can we be doing with kids from a young age to do try you, and improve practice and activities? Are you a
2: teacher, Shona? Um,
7: no, I'm not. I work in education. My right. friend's a teacher, though. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: It's a good question. Uh, it is a good question. Resilience, you know, this idea of yeah. teaching resilience. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's quite difficult
6: to teach resilience, to be honest. Right. Um, in the same way, you know, what would you do? Show a PowerPoint presentation. I mentioned I work with the Army. They're a pretty resilient group. And if you said, um, today's a lecture on resilience, they would all think you're completely crazy. It'd be like teaching them courage. So it's much more about in organizations that promote resilience in everything they do, that model it in all those things. I don't think you teach it. I think you see it in the teachers around you in the important people in your lives, etc. I'm slightly... Well, there are trials going on now um, about this in schools. And here I have to really play the boring boffin. Ask you, first of all, to read my book on randomized controlled trials. Only 18 people have. So, uh, um, yeah. What's it not, called? Not even chapters. Randomized controlled trials in psychiatry. What a title. I mean, no one's even <laughs> read Chapter 11. It sounds like a 11. complete page it, turn, yes, honestly. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. Yeah. But we have to be... We How have did you to feel work.
2: about your publishers imposing on you such a jazzy name all right. for the book? I know, I
6: know, it was my idea, <laughs> actually, yeah. as well. It's terrible, isn't it? But anyway, sorry, but, carry on. But the point being, sometimes we have to wait and see what the results of these studies are, because sometimes they can surprise us. And um, so I'd be slightly agnostic on that one. Um, what I'm not agnostic on is ensuring that teachers are well-trained and that they then have access to very good services that can then work in schools. But whether or not we should be teaching resilience in our children... I keep I just keep an open mind and see where we are in 24
2: months. Okay. Do you want to add anything to yeah, that? Yeah, I think yeah. the
4: the teacher has to talk the walk. So if she, again, doesn't have any insight into her own emotions, she's just going to pass, you know, we work like neural Wi-Fi, she's going to pass her stuff on to that kid. So the first training is for the teacher, you know, to have some emotional intelligence, and then you can teach a kid emotional intelligence because those people are going to have the job in the future. A, a machine can do everything else but have emotional intelligence. So inspire them early.
2: Sounds good. Yeah.
3: Hi, I'm Joel. I'm from the internet. <laughs> Joel, <laughs> Joel, from, the J- Milliverse. Joel from, from the
2: Milliverse. Yeah. Uh,
3: I do have a serious question, though. Um, I know some people who have had um, treatment-resistant depression, uh, which is as the name would suggest, uh, depression that is resistant to treatment. Um, In your experience, uh, what has been the best case for people with uh, treatment resistant depression and uh, how how prevalent is it and uh, what can we do about it? What's our reason to be cheerful in these cases?
2: (laughs) And talk a little bit about talking therapies and uh, CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, because Britain, thanks to in part to a um, member of the House of Lords called Richard Layard, Lord Layard, who, who ten years ago, sort of really got seized by the notion of CBT being more widely available. There, you know, there probably isn't enough of it, but there is a lot more of it than there was. So talk a little, just, I know well, it's probably hard to sum up, but uh, Joel <laughs> yeah. should go and read your book. Oh, uh, yeah,
6: yeah, obviously do that. Um, okay, so yeah, we've had this enormous transformation in making psychological treatments that we know to be effective uh, available to the population. We, we've led on this uh, across the world. we spent, I think, over a billion pounds now on this On this. Uh, improving access to psychological therapies and it's done well um, in improving the outcomes of people with depression and anxiety but the very fact that this question has been asked makes it very clear that that's not the solution uh, for a lot of people who will continue to have depression or will relapse etc so we have you know it has not abolished these problems then we get into what do we do then well in general, the things that tend to work are the things that bring together the things that are important, the physical, the psychological and the social. most problems, serious problems in psychiatry never have a single cause they're multiple causes. so what we would think about then is combining a psychological treatment with probably a drug treatment at that time and also looking at people's social environments. how can that be improved? So it would, I mean it's complicated and it's difficult it takes a long time and the real problem then I'm sorry to be dull on this I won't yet again it also takes some quite skillful people they could be psychotherapists or psychiatrists or social workers and anybody in this audience who's had problems with recurrent mental disorders such as depression etc will immediately know it's really very difficult to find um some of the long term longer access to some of the longer term therapies and treatments that are needed and if i pretended that all was well there um you would know that i wasn't telling you the truth just
2: Simon, I've got one final question for you, which is talk about briefly about this notion of parity because I think it's quite a good thing for people to get into their minds because it's really about the way physical health and mental health yeah. are treated, isn't it?
6: Yeah, we have a slogan, parity of esteem, and sometimes it's been mean quite simple. For example, we know that spending in the acute sector, the acute hospital sector has been rising since two thousand and ten. Spending in the mental health sector has actually been going down until last year. So that is not parity. So if there's going to be improvements in the health service, we want to be have our fair share of what that is. But it's more than that. It's much more than that. It's also about equality in the way you know, I work in two hospitals, one's an acute hospital. Lovely, brilliant architecture, lots of wonderful places for patients to interact with each other, new charity-driven aromatherapy cafe for people with cancer or something like that, all lovely stuff. On the other side of the road, no. And it's the point that that's what we think of parity is it's about being treated the same way with the same respect, etc. So it's not just money, but money certainly helps. Um, We have improved. This this is obviously the end of the show, but we have improved. Things are better. The fact that you're talking about this, the fact that we've got royals, prime ministers. uh, Last year, every single major news channel did weeks on mental health. If you go to the Mind Media Awards, last year was the first time positive stories on mental health outnumbered negative stories. So we are making improvements. There are reasons to be cheerful. But as I said, we still have a lot to do.
1: Great, thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen,
2: please give a big thank you to our guests, Ruby, George and Simon. Good whooping.
3: Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Geoff Lloyd.
1: If you are enjoying this, and I have to say, the whole George Ezra lunch thing being raked up again has caused me some pain. But if you're enjoying this, then um, come and see us live in Liverpool on Monday the
2: 19th of February. Yep, and you can get tickets at the following uh, web page address on the interweb uh, bit.ly forward slash cheerful Liverpool. Or as Jeff would say, bit.ly stroke cheerful Liverpool. Much nicer.
6: Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable.
3: Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd.
2: I thought, I thought to myself, it worked for William Hague, after all. <laughs> this is the... Uh, this do I have to wear this throughout the next half or not? You
1: asked if you could wear it in the first half. No, you so forced to. So don't pretend that you're doing this under You forced duress. me to
2: do it. You forced me to do it.
1: <gasps> um, we have some of this stuff to give away. Um, we're going to play a game. It's called Do I Look Like a Badger? Now... We won't tell you why it's called that now. We'll we'll tell you in a short while um, when we bring out our next guest. So we have, like, three little bits of merchandise of your choice to give away off the website. Uh, Do we have a volunteer, please? While we're finding a volunteer, I will describe how this game goes. So, Ed, we're going to just make sure you can't can't see the screen here. Right, Okay. I'm going to put a name... I don't
2: really know anything about this game, apart from I came up with the title, but...
1: I'm going to put a name up on the screen, and I'm going to try and describe this person to Ed. Uh, There will also be words or phrases that I'm not allowed to use. So here is the name for the example. (laughs) And there are some words I'm not allowed to use. So he's... uh, This is Alistair Campbell's nemesis... Uh, oh, it's a long list uh,
2: <laughs> uh, I don't know uh, This is somebody
1: responsible for poisoning the debate in this country Rupert Murdoch uh, Keep going, you're uh, in the right uh, area uh, uh, He's currently at his home in the British Virgin Islands uh, Richard Branson keep No, he's not <laughs> uh, he, 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 um, he owns half the country He's got a huge estate uh, Journalism We're thinking gen- of Journalism, uh, if you want to call it that Oh, Paul Dacre Yes <laughs> Oh, it's quite difficult, this game. Yeah, that, that was more difficult than I thought. Um, so do we have somebody who wants to play...? Oh, come on. I'm just trying to... Nice. Oh, there we go. Hello, what's your name? Sarah. Sarah, do you believe you look like a badger? Yeah.
3: OK. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very gonna, rude. A bit.
1: Well, you said call the game Do I Look Like a Badger. I'm trying to shoehorn it in somehow. That's somewhere. me. Do I look like a badger anyway? OK, so, um, Sarah, here is the name of the person we'd like you to describe... <laughs> And here are some words you're not allowed
2: to use.
7: Right. Off you go. He's probably your nemesis.
2: That's quite a long list as well. (laughs) Uh... Um, He's better at eating a a bacon sandwich than you. David Cameron.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm not sure that he's famous for eating pigs.
2: (laughs) uh... (laughs) Um, I think that originally was my joke, actually. Uh... (laughs) Hello. 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 Uh,
1: I can't see you. Which animal do you most dis- uh, resemble, if not uh, a badger? Uh, a bear. A bear. Okay. Are you ready for your name? Not a badger. There we go. <laughs> and here are the words you're not allowed to use.
2: <laughs> Orange face. Orange Donald Trump.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Congratulations.
1: That's a good game. I think he
2: deserves a big round of applause for this game,
1: doesn't he? And to find out why that game was called Do I Look Like a Badger, will you welcome our final guest, Aisha Hazarika?
2: My goodness. (laughs) Okay, Aisha. Hello. You can so, enlighten us. So Aisha went through some difficult times working for me uh, for four years, four and a half years? Five. Five. Uh, <laughs> who's counting? And, and we used to, and the thing that Aisha spent a lot of time doing uh, was Prime Minister's questions. Um, so why is the game called Do I Look Like a Badger?
7: So I spent a long time working with Ed. Um, no one talked to me about my mental health issues, by the way. Like, so I was basically like Ed's carer for like quite a long time. And when I first You were started, my friends
2: and family, basically. I was.
7: I was just full a friend yeah. at like any time of day and night. And part of my job was to like just look after him and make sure he was OK before PMQs. And, and you know, Ed is... Bless him. We all love Ed. And he's a wee, gentle soul. And stuff. Like When I first started to work for Ed, we'd be in a meeting and sometimes he'd just be like, Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> We'd be like, what's wrong? Do you need a snack? Like, what is wrong? (laughs) And we'd be like, oh, God, I just really hate inequality. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. God, it's so mean. And we'd be like, oh, my God, what we can do? What can we do to make it better? And he'd be like, oh, God, just get me anything by Jonathan Friedland. (laughs) And so, like, you know, he's dead, lovely, gentle, We saw, And we'd have to go up against David Cameron at PMQs, like, every week. And David Cameron was really not very nice across the dispatch box, as you know. He was ve- very combative. PMQs was very, very aggressive. And he used to attack Ed on everything. You know, how you looked, how you sounded, your policies, your politics, all right, all right, your brother, your dad, your hair. You know, I, I think kind, they were like, okay, all okay. there.
2: They watched it, you know. So,
7: like... So, one Wednesday morning, we had prepared six really excellent questions on the badger cull. I know, it's just like an episode of the West Wing, isn't it? It's like, really, kind of... And so, like, we, there were really good questions, and Ed was really fussing around. He was, like, on the phone to the shadow cabinet, and he was going to the loo, and he, he kept running his hands through his hair, and he'd made an absolute mess of his hair. And he's obviously got this lovely dark hair with a little bit of white in it, just a wee bit of... Um, White in it.
2: I've died. Yet, and,
7: and we're just about to walk into the chamber, and it's terrifying. We're seconds away from going into the chamber, and you can hear that roar, that visceral roar, and we're all terrified. Ed turns around, spins around, grabs me by my pe- lapels, and goes, I've got to ask you something. <laughs> I'm like, um, Do you need stuff on deficit reduction? He's so Honestly, it's more important than that. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, honestly. Like, um is it something that Ed Bowles has said? He's like no, honestly I should shut up, just shut up, just look at me, all right? Just look at me and answer me this question, honestly. Am I a badger?
3: <laughs>
7: I know, I can't believe we didn't win the twenty fifteen no. general election. <laughs> I mean, but like You no, did say no. You're not a badger, <laughs> but there was a whole pe- like series of people brought into this room, and they're just. Do in I front look of like them. a badger? He was just actually. like, "Do I look like a badger?" And they were like, "Oh my God, is this a test question?" And they were like, N- "Maybe." How did uh, the-
2: what was the line? What was the line we used? It was something like from Hugger Hood from uh,
7: Hugger Hoodie to gas a badger. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> it was a great line, but I didn't deliver it that well. as my memory. But do you know, but. Uh, Basically um, all the best lines were thought of by Aisha and I murdered quite a lot of them.
1: No. Different people have been emailing. We, we sent you an email the other day asking for your ideas, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful. I thought we could hear some of them. Um, and we, we're going to try and find people in the audience. I don't know how successful this will or won't be, but is, uh, is Penny around? You've, you've sent uh, lots of ideas in for Ed and... I was I... a bit
2: over-keen. <laughs> We
1: like uh, overkeen. Th- there are some great ones here, including Secret Santa for the whole country, uh, a minister for gifts. I'm totally in favour of the Secret
2: Santa thing, by the way. For those of you, I mean, you I know, they, it New Zealand. they do it in New Zealand. So if you did Secret Santa for the whole country, I mean, don't you think it would be a massive deal? Was that good with Christmas presents when you
1: worked for him?
7: No, and can I just say, I was I'm sure f- I bought the Spirit Level. Everyone for got you. a copy of the Spirit Level. <laughs> Um, I not an actual spirit level. No, the book, the spirit level. It's
1: about
2: inequality. Can I just say,
7: I gave my. <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> Can't believe you've not read
7: it. <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't given you have a you copy read it of it. Yet? No, I read
2: chapter eleven.
1: <laughs> Penny, Penny, um, you you have some suggestions, sort of involving the medium of song. Uh, yeah, involving Eurovision in the MilliVerse. So you think and there a should song be song for Europe? So how would Eurovision in the Milliverse go then?
7: Well, I'd like to think that... Um, I'd like to think that Ed would hold a, a Song for Europe-style contest with all of the female prime ministers that you, see, you seem to be getting to know
1: via the podcast and then you would have some sort of voting procedure. I just think it'd be mm. really good. Mm. I, think, I mean, in terms of Ed's musicality, Aisha...
7: Oh, we had an amazing Christmas party where Ed did karaoke <laughs> <laughs> <once>. <laughs> It's because we couldn't afford a proper um, party, so it was just in his office, <laughs> and we just basically downloaded a karaoke thing, and we were all around the computer. It was really cheap, I have to say. And um, Ed's favourite. Not song... sure this is
2: reflecting that well on me,
5: actually. <laughs> Ed,
7: um, Ed, we did. Um, do they know it? it's Christmas time? And Ed was really good because he was miming. You know when they put the cans on. <laughs> and so, um, but we didn't do any aha. We didn't no. do any aha. But I, I think singing is a brilliant thing, and I think the world would be a better place if we did more singing. So I think instead. Of of Prime Minister's questions. We should replace it with Prime Minister's karaoke. Yes. Yes. Don't you think that would be so, as a better test of someone's character, <laughs> resilience? I think that's the way to do
2: it. Jeff is a massive karaoke fan, yeah. and he always tells me it doesn't matter how badly you sing. But I don't know whether I believe it that. It doesn't. I've not a good voice. I've not got a good voice at all. But when I sing karaoke, there's something. Really beautiful about it. <laughs> now, go on, Aisha. What are your ideas to make the world a better place? Well, I definitely think singing is yeah.
7: um, very, very good. What else? Right, so... It is the season that everybody has a cold. Like, everybody is completely bunged up. Everyone is fighting a snot bubble There's on the tube. It's true of every season for me, actually. <laughs> but anyway, how, how did you oh. cope with
1: Ed's hypochondria? <laughs> just like, oh God. It was just,
7: you just became so, you, you didn't know a world where somebody wasn't ill the whole time, basically. <laughs> we had um, an
1: NHS doctor on the last podcast and we detained her for 15 minutes afterwards while we told her about her various ailments. And Ed was, in a way, that was quite uncomfortable, trying to get her to use the torch on his iPhone to look down his throat to determine...
3: <laughs> I, had a a
2: ba- I had a bad throat. I was worried. I wanted to save the NHS money by not having to like bother my GP, basically. But, but one time,
7: my dad's a doctor, obviously, because he's Indian, obviously. And um, at one point, we had to... like We were like texting Dr. Hazarika about Ed's ailments as well from PMQ's prep. He's like, can you ask your dad my throat's a bit sore? What should I do, basically? And I was like, this is ridiculous. So because everybody is sniffing and, like, got a snot bubble the whole time. Don't you find it on the tube? It's so annoying where everyone is sniffing. So I would have free tissues on every tube and every bus, and I think that would be a really good thing. What and happens think... to
2: tissues afterwards, though? Oh,
7: do you put them in a bin?
2: Right, OK. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. That's where you get the big bucks uh, uh,
1: uh. <laughs> for. There's, there's one here go on. from, um, is Claire around? Claire Thomas. Here's Claire Thomas down the front. Front row, very letters. enthusiastic. Claire, yeah, you've, you've, um, you've got various suggestions. Some of them, are you know, very sensible, like subsidised state childcare, outlawing of the Daily Mail, which I think probably would get a good reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a somewhat surprising one on here, though, mm-hmm. involving Ed.
7: Yes, that wouldn't surprise anyone who knew me. Do
1: you want to to tell everybody who doesn't know you what it is?
7: Okay, well, like Penny, I do research, but my research is on the internet and it's more in a personal capacity. And despite all my research on the internet, I've never found a shirtless picture of Ed, leading to to the conclusion that there isn't one out there. So, Ed, I think you should do a shirtless photo shoot, and I would like to be the photographer.
2: (laughs) It worked for Vladimir Putin, didn't it? The horse and the horse, Aisha. Aisha, I need your advice here. A donkey. Uh, A Shetland yeah. pony. Yeah,
7: Don't do it. Don't get the moves out. You think? You think not? No. Would you like an Ed calendar? Uh, <laughs> yes, I do have an Ed pillowcase and an Ed. Ah! Oh. Oh my oh.
4: <laughs> my ah. husband
7: doesn't like it, but I do, so we got it. <laughs>
2: I think Aisha, I'm just looking at you here. I think it's should sort of unable okay. to control herself. For those who can't see,
7: I'm just reliving that moment with the bacon sandwich, yeah. and I'm just thinking, I'm sorry. You, you know, let's, I think sometimes the fantasy is better than the reality. <laughs> no, so, no, it's not. <laughs> I, think I think let's leave it. I at think that. let's leave it. Were,
1: at the, you, imagine, the imagination. Exactly.
7: Stage. Exactly. Were,
1: were you around on bacon sandwich day? I oh, for wa- goodness no, sake. I, actually, I, mean, wasn't, I
7: actually wasn't. I actually, <laughs> I actually wasn't. I actually wasn't there that day.
2: She says.
1: Right, let's <laughs> no move on. Nobody, nobody seems to have be. been there. Nobody
7: seems to have been there. like literally there was like nobody there.
2: What um, about the audience? Does anyone else in the audience have any ideas they'd like to sort of sell to us?
3: Uh, hello. My name hello. is Chris. Hello, Chris. Uh, hi I'm from Sheffield. Well, from Belfast, live in Sheffield, but work in Doncaster.
2: Oh great. Um, yeah. <laughs>
3: whereabouts we're to whereabouts uh, Doncaster Royal. Oh great. Yeah. As a doctor. As a doctor, yeah. Um, a doctor of what? Uh, so... I've got this throat problem I'd like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> to ask you about. <laughs> Please don't see your GP about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's uh, What's your idea?
3: Um, well, I had an idea. I was chatting to a few um, few colleagues about this the other day, and there's been a few studies on it, but I think every workplace should have something like an office pet, like an office oh, dog office or pet. whatever. We have quite a, a lot of suggestions of the office pet. Yeah, I just think, and then you could take turns taking it home at the weekend or looking after it. And every time you come in, there's a dog to pet or if you're having a terrible day, you go and hug the dog. Yes. <laughs> I remember when I worked on uh, pediatrics and neonates, you could kind of do a similar thing We could go and feed a baby. <laughs> and he just felt better but it's less weird if you do it with a dog
2: <laughs> but do you think it's a sign do you think it's a sign of sort of middle age that I like the sort of I like the kind of an, cute animal pictures or did, did you always like the cute animal pictures always I think. I don't think there's anything abnormal about that what about, about you that. cute animals Aisha I
7: think as I get older also, when you get so much hate on Twitter and then you see something nice you're yeah, like that's oh true, that's actually. so nice you're not telling me to go back to where I came from, which is Glasgow.
1: <laughs> and how do you feel when you see a picture of a badger? Are you able to enjoy that yet? As enough time It's elapsed? a bit early, actually. It's, right, a, yeah.
2: it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit early. What's the practicalities of this? So I'm sorry to be a nerd here, but I mean, you know, how are we going to make... I'm going to implement the policy. How are we going to implement the policy? I mean, well...
3: So you don't even have to buy the dog. Anyone that has a dog can get it kind of labelled as a therapy dog, and you can bring it into work. And I would happily, you know, sign up as needing a therapy dog. But do you know
7: this, um, that is? It's so true. I'm actually going to a prison visit soon um, for quite a long time. No, I'm just going for the for the day. And um, they're taking a horse into the prison, like it's a charity. Maybe I can go
2: shirtless on the horse, actually. <laughs> I mean, in the, in the prison, actually.
7: <laughs> you could just stride in yeah, topless exactly. okay, okay, on the okay. uh The lady's literally passed out of the front here, <laughs> just like to see... Is there a doctor? Could you be a, the yeah. guy A&E? Could you just no, no, come to he's the front? To look at my
2: throat. What, so, what, uh, so, um, so, go on. What,
7: so, this is a charity called Key for Life, and they go into and um, they do a lot of work with sort of prisoners. And they they take a horse in, and apparently it has amazing results. The sort of prisoners like react; they get to sort of pet the horse and kind of like groom the horse. And there's some amazing primal thing that happens, and apparently it's very effective and it's very powerful. So I'm going to witness it. Wow.
1: Shall we do one final question? Yeah, yeah. Or idea? Well, yes, one final idea.
2: There is somebody. While we're yeah, waiting, we just... can I just
7: make one point? Please. I also wasn't invited to that lunch. I just <laughs> want to put it. Just thought it's really important. I gave my childbearing years to this man, but no, I was not invited to the lunch. I just want to put that we'll on the record. Noted, everybody. <laughs> um,
3: Hello, who's that? I'm Rob, and I'm a primary school teacher. And that
2: deserves a given... round of applause.
0: <laughs> yeah. Woo!
2: And, um, if this was Pud Save America, they'd be whooping. You're whoops. Come on, whoops.
0: <laughs>
2: Better. And what, what age? Uh, I'm,
3: my age or the children? No, they're children. <laughs> the, ch- the children. They think between 80 and 30, but um, they're year sixes, so 10, 11-year-olds. And back at the 2015 general election, we showed them all the different party political broadcasts, let them have their own unbiased opinion, and only one of them sent them into immense levels of deep sadness, and it was Nigel Farage... And this was a room full of children. Some of them had quite right wing views, some quite left wing. And I had to make sure they didn't know mine. And they asked me, Did you vote for the racist frogman? <laughs> <laughs> so my reason to be cheerful would be don't let him on the TV beyond once a week. At most, he seems to pop up what, ten, why five is he, times a day. Why has moment. he
2: been on BBC Question Time 412 times? I mean, because it's the only w-
7: seat he can get.
2: <laughs> I think he won't
1: leave. I think he just stays put every time they move. Is that that right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. That's a a good idea. It is a good idea. Yeah. Uh, So thanks to Ruby Wax. Ruby's book is How To Be Human, the manual. And thanks to George Ezra, who was wonderful as well. He's got his new album
2: coming out in March. And he's a very nice person to have lunch with. Uh, Thanks to Simon Wesley, Sir Simon Wesley. Whoop.
1: Yeah. Is he still here? He would have loved that.
2: I think he might be in the audience somewhere, actually. Yeah, he's there. That he's, was him oh! whooping. Yeah, he's, he, he was doing some whooping. Yeah.
1: Well, and I was going to... Okay. <laughs> and thanks to the wonderful Aisha Hazarika. We should thank our announcer, Gail Lofthouse and Ed Seed, who made the music, and James Deacon, who made the eye dance, and Emma Corsham, who you see running around, who produces our podcast. And... With support from Alex Fice Bryce and Lindsay Todd. Chris Ma looked after our tech today with Jess here at the Leicester Square Theatre. And we're done. Thank you so much for coming. We're gonna do this again. Should we do it again? Yes. Well.
2: Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. (laughs) He's been Ed Miliband. He's been Jeff Lloyd. And these have been Reasons to be cheerful. Thank you.
1: And there it was, our first live stage show. Um, I'm I'm thinking a Tony Award, an Olivier Award, an Oscar. May, maybe even an Oscar. Uh, For if the movie version. If anybody's interested in buying the film rights, it's true. You know, talk talk to our agent. We'll get our people to talk to. We should get a person. We'll get our people to talk to your people. Yeah. And if you uh, enjoyed that, then why not come and see us live in Steven Liverpool? Steven Spielberg. I was thinking Paul Greengrass.
2: Oh, baby, yeah. yeah. Great British
1: director. Definitely, definitely. Did your thing in 2015. Definitely, yeah. Mm. Um, we would love you to come and see uh, Reasons for Cheerful live in Liverpool. It's happening on the 19th of February. And Ed has the URL. Bit.ly forward slash
2: for Liverpool. Hold
0: up.